coffee. Every two weeks I have coffee with a different founder. We discuss life, passions, learnings, in an intimate talk getting to know the person behind the company. For this 28th episode I talk to Ilan Misulawen, co-founder of ClickSees, one of the leading click fraud prevention platforms for Google Ads. Before starting ClickSees, Ilan worked in radio, sold electronics to the defense industry, was a retail consultant, started a photo booth for events company and did some affiliate marketing. Then his co-founder developed a piece of software for a locksmith who was having competitors systematically clicking his ads and depleting his ad budget. ClickSees was born. We talk about what makes Tel Aviv a big tech hub, why his wife calls him a sociopath, the definition of a brand, coffee culture and comic books. Welcome to Founder Coffee. Hi, Lam. It's great to have you on Founder Coffee. It's great to be on Founder Coffee. <laughs> cool. You're co-founder of um, ClickSees. For those who don't know ClickSees yet, what do you guys do? We protect advertisers on Google Ads from a very common phenomenon called click fraud, which is where a competitor or a bot clicks on your ads, depletes your budget, and then you can't be, um, you don't have any money to advertise anymore. So we detect that fraudulent activity and we tell Google in real time to stop it or to block it. And that way we save a lot, a lot of money for our advertisers. Oh, okay. So there's, there's, there's people that click on links that they're not supposed to click. That's mostly competitors or is it also other cases? So it, it, it depends on the industry. So for instance, if you're a locksmith, or a plumber, or a dentist, or electrician, like a local, local service provider, more often than not, you're going to be dealing with some competitor that uh, is just clicking on your Google ads in order to deplete your budget. Mm-hmm. But if you're a bigger brand or a big e-commerce store or more like a national brand, then the type of fraud that you're dealing with is more bot-based. And it's not necessarily malicious, but it's still, still the, these bots do click a lot on Google ads and waste a lot of advertisers' money. So that's another type of, uh, of fraud that we block. And why is that? Is that because they're scraping pages and then clicking? Exactly. That's, yeah. that's usually the case. Um, you know, there's research that says that, you know, about half of the traffic on, on the web is, is bot-based. And this mm-hmm. traffic also clicks for whatever the reasons may be. Um, but, uh, but they do do harm. Yeah. And and you guys then, how does that work at the Google side? You you send something to the Google Ads API to... Yeah, we, we basically tell Google Ads via their uh, IP exclusion. Um, ah, okay. Uh, yeah, that, you know, not to show the ads to those specific IPs that we've detected as fraudulent or IP ranges. Okay, so you you add IP ranges to, to Google Ads in the exclusion. Exactly. Or, yeah. Cool. Uh, how yeah. is it that you like came to this idea is that a problem you had yourself and when did yeah so so um so my partner actually yuval um he had a good friend which was a locksmith and he said look there's no way that i'm paying so much to google so many clicks and i'm not getting any phone calls and with the locksmith service you know it's kind of obvious it's like you know people stuck outside their door can't you know enter their house they're reaching out to a locksmith in order to solve, you know, a real problem that exists now. They're not researching the internet in order to, 
you know, find some kind of future solution for something. So if someone calls, it's got to be, you know, usually the, the lead is legit. And he was getting a lot of these uh, phone calls or leads that were just, you know, not converting. No one was talking to him or if they were, it sounded like it was kind of fake or, and then he realized that, you know, it's got, it's a competitor that is doing this or even a few competitors. So he says, look, we've got to like, you can figure out some kind of solution to this. That will be huge. Um, and, and then uh, the software was written uh, about four years ago. And uh, that's also when I basically joined uh, as like the marketing slash biz dev arm of this. Mm-hmm. And uh, since then we've wrecked uh, tens of thousands of customers. Yeah. What were you doing before Clixies? I was a uh, consultant for uh, retail companies uh, in the U.S. Uh, <laughs> and uh, this was kind of like the uh, uh, pretty, you know, pretty, you know, serious change from going from the retail world into, you know, online, um, on, online anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. And yet, you always had been a, a consultant for the retail industry, or you did something else before? Uh, no, I was uh, always did some. Yeah, I mean, I did media. I was in radio for four years. I was um, selling uh, electronics for the defense industry here in Israel for a while. I was um, I was doing the consulting thing for quite some time too. Then I also started a photography business, like photo booths for events. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm, Yeah, it's kind of all over the place. I tried doing a little bit of affiliate um, uh, for a while as well, kind of just before I, I, I started working on Clixies. And uh, yeah, yeah, so I was I, trying to figure uh, something new. I hear you wanted to start a company, you had all these little projects, and then Clixies was the real first one, right? Yeah, I mean, no, the, the photo booth business was pretty big as well. It, it was a serious operation and I sold that, but the power of online was really what I kind of discovered with Clixies because, you know, it doesn't matter how big your photo booth business is. You can't really scale that um, to the levels you can with like a SaaS business, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and I had enough of the physical world, you know, the retail as well. And Clixies, you know, understanding that you could be basically selling or making value for other people when you're sleeping as well is, is basically kind of that, that, that really goes well with internet. Um, and there are not many businesses that can do that offline. Yeah. You, you said you, you, uh, you're in Israel, um, and yep. you've been in, in startups is Israel. I, I mean, I see a lot of tech companies coming from Israel. Is it a good place to have a, a tech company or not? It is an amazing place for, uh, for startups, uh, for tech. Um, there are so many companies that have started in Israel that are now uh, worldwide that you know, people may be aware of, may not be aware of. Tel Aviv specifically has a very strong startup culture. Every second person uh, on the street is either a co-founder, founder, Uh, CTO, VP marketing, um, or trying to figure out his, his, his new thing. There are a lot of failures, but there are a hell of a lot of successes as well. And um, the amount of shared office and workspaces 
uh, in the city are, are, are it's, it's incredible. Um, and yeah, no, Tel Aviv is, is I mean, it's, it's a startup mecca. Yeah. Well, why do you think that is? Is, it, is, that, is that culture? Is it environment? Is it infrastructure? Is it... Yeah, there, there are a few reasons for this. Uh, there's actually a very interesting book called Startup Nation, exactly about that question. The main reasons, well, first of all, there's a lot of tech training that goes on in the army. You know, we've, we've got a pretty big army and, and now, uh, you know, they say that the next war is going to be the cyber war. So there's a lot of uh, training that goes on in that department. A lot of people that come out from, you know, pretty like elite cyber units go on and do their own thing in the private sector. Um, in addition to that, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's stereotypical, but like the Jewish mind is always trying to, uh, you know, come up with something new and, uh, and, and life in Israel, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not an easy life. You know what I mean? It's, uh, you got to figure out, um, how to, there's a lot of smart people here <laughs> in order to, to survive, you got to kind of figure out, you know, something that's going to be good, not only for your market, but maybe for even an international market. Because with the 8 million people that live here, um, especially if you're doing internet, you might have to kind of think um, outside of your current uh, market limitation. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, there are many other reasons. I'm not a, I'm not a um, sociologist. Um, my wife just says I'm a sociopath, but it's, <laughs> it's um, there, definitely there is a culture here and, uh, and the good weather is definitely a plus. So it's very easy to kind of kid yourself that you're working when you're actually at the beach. But yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. you should Why definitely come and visit Tel Aviv. And yeah, kind I've of, never been. You know, I, I could introduce you or to any of your listeners to, you know, like 20 companies in, yeah, like in an hour, basically. <laughs> uh, sensitive question. Uh, why does your wife think you're a sociopath? I think that's something that uh, more entrepreneurs hear. Uh, <laughs> I want to hear why in your case. She's in the other room. I can bring her in uh, and she can answer that herself. Uh, but I'm not going to do that because then I'll be in bigger trouble than I normally am. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, I, I don't, I don't have clear working hours, I think is one of the major things. So we can be watching the new season of Game of Thrones and I'm going to be with the laptop in front of me. Um, so that's, that's one thing that, you know, she realizes it's like, okay, this is your business, but, uh, still, you you know, you got to kind of separate between family time, leisure time, wife time and work time. And I think that lack of, you know, Delineate, delineation is something that mm-hmm. she considers as, uh, as, as, as psychotic, uh, but I just call it, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're, there are a lot of customers to take care of. Yeah. yeah. Maybe a bit, bit obsessive, but, but sociopath. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do, do you get that from your, uh, uh, uh I used to, but I, uh, I kind of, um, started separating uh, work and lifetime better. Um, that's a skill yeah well it's it's something you need to put in place it's like a habit um, right. and once you have it then it's it's okay then you can more easily put put that barrier uh, but I remember the first few years with Salesflare I was very bad at it as well 
mm-hmm. especially because business always like keeps running around in your head yep. and it's very hard not to be like, oh, this is exciting and I'm going to do this now. Or yeah. like you said, there's customers to take care of and they have questions and you feel like, oh, I need to help now kind of feeling. Right. Right. Uh, do, you think, do you think you could have done that uh, kind of differentiation of your time when you were just starting out with Salesflare as well? More difficult. Although in the beginning when you don't have customers, it's actually easier, I would say. But, but then you feel more rush. Yeah, there is this feeling that if you don't make it, it, it like all goes away. Yeah, you feel guilty for not yeah. pushing yourself more. Right? Definitely. Yep. How long, how long are you along? How long am I what? Uh, how long are you working on Clixies? Uh, yeah, about four years now. Four years? Yeah. That's about, we're, we're working now, I think about five years. Yep. Um, it's, a, it's a time where, how big, how big is, is, is your team? So we've got seven people in our uh, Tel Aviv office. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got another seven uh, people um, in different locations, many dealing with uh, support and sales. Yeah. So you must have like uh, most work delegated, uh, most operational work at least. Oh, for sure. Um, that Figuring that out was was the key to our growth um, mm-hmm. because, you know, there, there's a limit of how many phone calls I can be doing with new customers or support um, per day. Um, mm-hmm. um, and my wife was also, you know, putting the kibosh on that in some kind of way. Mm-hmm. So we got to figure out how we can kind of, you know, automate things. And, and that is definitely, that was huge. Uh, yeah. Our first outsource Basically, it's not outsourced, it's an employee, but the first person outside of our core team that was kind of handling, um, you know, technical questions just gave us so much uh, time to figure out new strategies, more new marketing ideas, more product enhancements, you know, just so much more. And that's so important. Yeah. How long do you think you should wait with doing that? At what point should you decide to to outsource or insource or whatever? Well, you can uh, wait for, uh, for your wife to call you a psychopath, um, <laughs> but it's probably better to kind of preempt that. And um, I'd say, I'd look, it, it's, I think it's important to be involved in all those as a founder uh, in any point, just um, not as, uh, not with that amount of hours that we were discussing before. I think, mm-hmm. Reaching out and uh, for people that are currently kind of, you know, doing it all, doing the sales, doing the tech support, um, you know, I think once you have a kind of, you know, finger in the wind kind of uh, uh, estimate, I'd say once you have uh, 30 discussions a day, uh, that then you know that you're ready to kind of have someone kind of... um, take that away from you, even less, it could be even 20 a day. So, uh, again, it depends on, on, on not so much the amount of interactions, more about the, the type of interaction that's necessary. Yeah. 
Do, do you mean uh, live chat interactions or is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With us, it's all live chat. Um, but again, even if you're just doing ticketing and, and you're entering tickets, I think, I think 20 tickets a day is it's already it's that's quite an amount of, of you know that's a couple of hours of your day. And even if it's you know even if you can even if it's just an hour of the a day of your time, it still makes sense to to train someone to be able to do these things and and, and free up that that extra hour for you. Definitely. Yeah. But it's but it's best to first kind of get to learn it yourself, I suppose. Oh, for sure. There's, I mean, yeah, you got to know everything before you kind of teach someone to answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's why it's always important to kind of stay in the know because the questions, as much as you think they'll repeat themselves, you're always going to be getting new questions once in a while um, mm-hmm. or new product requests. You, you know, that customer live chat to us is, you know, everybody says this, but it really is kind of like the, the lifeblood of our future product enhancements. Um, so, so you always want to be involved in some kind of way or, or try and monitor these conversations in some kind of way. I mean, we use Intercom, which is, you know, that's kind of like the, the go-to these days because then, you know, it's definitely easy to read all the conversations and go through mm-hmm. what, what might be interesting. Um, yeah. Yep. What, what is the next thing actually that you're planning to delegate? Um, that's a, that's a very timely question. So definitely our content, um, capabilities right now we're doing, you know, SEO. Um, I mean, we're dominating ads, anything related to like click fraud or, you know, um, click farm and the, the, the keywords that are relevant to our industry. Um, but we want to dom- dominate organic results as well. Uh, and for that, a lot of content has to be written. So right now, you know, we we write a lot of our stuff. Uh, we have people writing for us as well, based on what we want. But that you know, that is such a huge part of bringing in quality traffic, or, you know, of of of, of business that um, it we are willing to you know spend uh, a hefty am- amount uh, of our you know profit of income on uh, on creating a machine for this. Mm-hmm. And it is necessary to have a machine for SEO because, you know, just, you know, uh, doing you know, some backlinks or writing a few new pieces of content or just, you know, improving the on-site, you know, metrics, it's not enough. You need a content machine and an ongoing improvement of any of the, you know, things that matter to Google. Um, mm-hmm. Google is, is where you're trying to do your SEO. Uh, yeah. That, that it really, you know, it, it, it needs it needs a, a team of its own uh, once you get to a certain stage, for sure. Is is that where you spend most of your work time now, or is that something else? Um, yeah, it's definitely what's bogging me down personally mm-hmm. uh, lately. Um, because also, you want to be writing. You know, the person that writes, you, you can't just take someone to to write for you. Uh, he, he's got to know. He's got to be part of the team. He's got to understand what's going on. And I think that uh, that is very, very hard. Um, it's harder than even, well, it's, it's kind of, well, in a way, it's kind of like uh, training someone to be able to answer anything related to your question, to your, to your company. So it's like, it's almost like taking on a salesperson or a support person. It's mm-hmm. something that goes to ins and outs and, and can write, write 
quality content about your company and industry, it's uh, it's not an easy task to do. Um, and that 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 is what I don't know if it's what keeps me up at night, but it's definitely something that that I find uh, is is going to be like the next win if if we figure this out in an elegant way. Yeah. So, so I hear your plans are are investing big in in SEO um, next to SEA. Are that kind of, is that kind of the strategy you're following, or is it broader than that? No, it's it's broader than that. Uh, this is just as specifically about what is uh, the next kind of mm -hmm. um, uh, giving giving more uh, you know attention to uh, when it comes to other people doing this stuff. Uh, but in, in general, our Uh, our, our strategy is developing more products that will help um, advertisers win within their competitive landscape mm. is basically what we're going for. Um, and we've already, you know, we just released, you know, like a new product where people can see their um, accurate Google position uh, compared to their competitors at any point in time. And it's actually the most accurate tool currently on the market because it's not like a snapshot that is taken every week, but it's really minute for minute accurate results uh, that even you won't be getting from Google, which is actually pretty cool. So um, yeah, we call that AdSpy and that's part of the Clixis uh, suite. So we want to add more products like this to our suite of tools because uh, then we know that people will find more reasons to, to love our product, which they already have. You know, we've got a pretty, pretty long um, uh, customer lifecycle. Um, and adding more value is definitely, I think for any company, a good strategy just for any consultant or, or person. Um, you know, Tony Robbins, <laughs> I'm quoting Tony Robbins, he says, you know, if you want it, um, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but if you want to, you know, if you want to bring more quality uh, to yourself, you got to bring, bring more quality to people. Um, mm -hmm. And you do that by investing in yourself. So kind of, you know, investing more in our uh, software capabilities will be investing more in, uh, in, in our customers. I completely botched that up, but, uh, but that's kind of the, the idea that, um, that, that we're going for is just provide more value. Yeah. So, so you're, you're in the Google ads space and you want to keep adding more value there. Correct. Yeah. Are you guys actually bootstrapped or funded or? Yeah, no, we completely bootstrapped. Completely um, bootstrapped. Cool. Yep. And, and yep. where do you see the business going? Like, how do you look at it? How do you see it? And that's a stupid question, but in 10 years, like, uh, will you still be working there or is it a, How do, how, do, how do you see that exactly? Ten, ten years. I ten uh, years is, is 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 very very hard. Uh, <laughs> who knows what's going? In ten years, we're going to be like you know uh, on hoverboards, uh, going back to the future. But um, will we? <laughs> yeah. VR headsets, basically. But um, but but definitely no. The company is here to stay. It's definitely in the next ten years going to just like with anything that's related to cyber or ad tech. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to you know, take a new life form um, uh, for itself and uh, it, it's going to change, but we're going to, I know this is that as long as we provide value to our customers, 
um, then we're gonna kind of adapt to to whatever the market needs in time before it's too late. Mm -hmm. What is it exactly that gives you energy in all this? Like, like, why did you? First of all, why 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 do you actually like building companies? Uh, is that um, is that personality? Is it your, your environment or? Hmm. Um, I think there definitely is an environmental thing that's kind of baked in by you know growing up in uh, in Israel. Um, but I didn't go to any kind of uh, fancy tech. You know, I, I was a paratrooper in the army. <laughs> yeah. um, but I've always liked business and um, and and the concept of you know making something big. Um, I I think you know you know it's these kind of general questions that that get you because you find yourself looking inside yourself and what are the reasons you're doing what you're doing and you know where do you want to be in five years and all these things. They I love these questions because they really you, we don't normally find ourselves tackling these bigger strategic you know elements of our life on a on a daily basis. Sure. And and we can be you know I can be talking to you now and you can it's a very simple question. And I've heard you ask it before on your podcast with other people. When you're faced with it yourself, it's it's amazing what goes on. You kind of like you freeze, and you kind of there's some kind of automatic answers that you want to you know bring up, but it's not necessarily the real thing that that motivates you. And it's a great question, and I'm not going to answer it properly, uh, and I'm deferring now because because I want to give it the uh, the, the honest thought of, <laughs> that it takes. But yeah. Started, you started off with saying oh, it's a stupid question with like 10 years. No, it's a great question. It's the best question, you know? No, I mean, I meant a phrase in a stupid way. Like, why do you see yourself in 10 years? It's, it's like this uh, typical interview question. Nah, I know, I know. But, but, <laughs> but, but these are the best questions is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. You know, they are the ones, if you take them seriously enough, these are the ones that make you think the most. Yeah, I think, I think what motivates you the most is even more important. Uh, because if you know what motivates you, then the ten-year plan or something, the five-year plan, whatever, it's it it more easily falls into place. Uh, For sure. Because For sure. Then a ten-year plan or a five-year plan or a one-year plan, even one month doesn't matter. If you don't know what motivates you and you don't enjoy it every day, then it's never gonna be nice. You might not persist. Uh, all those kind of things. Uh, motivation there is a is a is a big factor. Yeah, I'm going to quote Tony Robbins, and this one is accurate. Actually, um, people uh, overestimate what they can do in a year, uh, yeah. and they really underestimate what they can do in a decade. Mm -hmm. um, that's actually, I think, his, his mentor Jim Rohn said that. Yeah, but, I don't uh, think it's Tony Robbins. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's his mentor Jim Rohn. But um, but but I think uh, you know planning for the long term is, is definitely definitely important and and it's definitely not something that you know we at Clixies do on a uh, on a, we don't do it enough and mm -hmm. definitely should so without deferring what do you think motivates you um security for my family for sure 
Um, it used to be more, uh, you know, selfish uh, wants uh, that that I had, but now definitely, you know, making something solid. Uh, so I know that my family will be secure is easily um, mm-hmm. what motivates me. I thought we were going to talk tactics and selling. We find ourselves talking uh, these general strategic. Maybe it's my fault, but. Uh, um, tactics. No, I, I try to stay away from tactics. Um, there's a lot of tactics out there. I yep. mean, we've yep, yep, published yep. a lot of that on our blog and everything. And everybody wants to know how and what and all these small details. And right. sometimes it's just good to understand how other people are doing. Yeah. Um, and tactics and specific tactics aren't the right ones for everyone. Whereas like mindset is something that can talk to everyone for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, to, to a large extent at least, yeah. I, I, I also dislike this kind of questions in uh, in Facebook groups, let's say, where um, someone asks a g- general question and then gets the, the, the shortest, most general answers ever. That's a lot of plugs, a lot of plugs. Well. You know, <laughs> and then uh, that's what you should do. And then pff, yeah. do we even know what this person does? What's his market? What is, I mean... Right. missing the whole context uh that's that's really the worst and and the the issue is that many people even um in a sort of um peer pressure kind of way fall into the trap of following the the advice as well uh, and that's that's really a pity because a lot of uh, original thinking and good thinking goes lost there yep it's true Anyhow, uh, you said you live with your wife and kids. Um, yeah. how, you, you said that it, you, you're sometimes overflowing in time. Uh, are you also doing this in the weekend uh, or are you putting more of a barrier there? I'm, I'm kind of bad with the whole uh, uh, dividing, uh, you know, se- separating family time from, from work time. Um, I'm getting better with, about it. That's that's sure. Um, for instance, uh, as I'm talking to you now, it's actually a holiday in Israel now. Um, oh. You just had Easter, Sorry. we got Passover. <laughs> this is the last day of Passover. No, 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 it's, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely something that needs to be worked on. Yeah. yeah. But if also, you... another problem, well, you know, in a way, yeah. so we've got an office in Tel Aviv but a lot of the work I do from home, I don't have an office at home because yeah. no one in Tel Aviv has got an office room because, you know, every, it's like everybody lives in a small apartment there. So I can be working on, you know, on my desk and right next to me, you know, my daughter's watching Peppa Pig. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it, always you've got to find... Uh, out of the actual living circumstances... Uh, work and play with kids will always kind of collide in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that must be very difficult if you're working from home. I uh, I did that yeah. for a bit uh, about five, six years ago. Yeah. Um, it's fine if you're working for someone else, but if you're working for yourself, it's so extremely hard. Yeah, because it's an no, abyss. You can just go deeper and deeper and deeper. I mean, I found myself some you know days working to like four o'clock in the morning um and uh 
Yeah, it's definitely not good for family either. No. Do you have any issue with stress levels? How do you manage it? Um, I, I like to think that I'm pretty chill. Um, but I do drink too much coffee, way too much. Uh, it's, it's actually like that, that, that definitely is raising my stress. I'm trying to cut back on that. But every mm -hmm. time I try, I just get into like, I realize how hooked I am. That is going to be my next, uh, my next thing to tackle with like my body <laughs> is, mm -hmm. is, is the coffee for sure. Um, and at the same time, uh, I was sitting a lot on, uh, on my chair until I kind of moved to a bouncing ball, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. I, I had terrible, terrible backaches. Uh, and just moving to that, you know, Swiss ball just made a huge difference. So kind of swimming, less coffee, and, uh, and not, you know, and, and kind of like standing up more definitely mm -hmm. is, uh, is, is, is positive things for me at least. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I found that that if you if you sleep regularly, mm -hmm. uh, you don't even need the coffee so much, uh, and you can actually fully stop. and And the the nice thing you win is that you don't have these huge ups and downs with the coffee, because the yeah. coffee is cool. You have a big up, and then afterwards you you immediately yeah. go down as well, uh, and that's pretty annoying because you need to keep fueling up. And in the end, you you drink so much coffee that you. You indeed feel a bit cooked. Yeah. Yeah. A nice feeling. You know, coffee is actually a, a funny thing. I mean, in the end of the day, it's a drug. Uh, <laughs> it really is. Because your body does get hooked on it. Um, and there's a whole kind of society, kind of like the one that's happening now with weed in, in, in the States and with the dispensaries. There's this whole, you know, uh, art around coffee that makes you kind of forget that this is something that, you know, makes your body dependent on it. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I've got this whole, you know, ritual in the morning with Macaneta and, and like, you know, the especially, you know, you know, kind of designer, you know, coffee beans and, and the grinder and the whole thing. And then you forget that, I mean, I, I'm exaggerating, but in, in you know, it's, it's a ritual of, of, of taking a drug. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I'd like to think that I can live without any of these type of you know physical dependencies um and getting rid of coffee will be like a huge one yeah yeah i think it's possible yeah so coffee coffee drink? uh what's the latest good book you've read and why did you choose to read it um i love comic books uh and i just finished reading a book about uh like the first comic books that were created like in, in the thirties. Um, mm -hmm. It's called, um, it, uh, it's by a guy called Michael Chabon. And uh, I think that's how you pronounce his name. And it's called uh, the adventures of clay and cavalier. Um, and it really, it's about like the society of, of people in Manhattan uh, just before, you know, there was Marvel and, and DC comics, Mm -hmm. You know, there was all like group of people that were creating uh, also Superman, which was two guys from, from Cleveland, Ohio in like 1938. Mm -hmm. um, but, but also like loads of, of, of people trying out new things. And it was, it was kind of like, the, you know, the golden age of, of, of well, not the beginning of, of comic books, because 
you know, within a few years, kind of like how the internet took over retail, comic books and the sales of comic books was at such a peak that, you know, that's what kids did. They read comics, but that's what the money went on, comic books. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas it's like video games. Then it was comic books, comic books, comic books. And it's interesting to see how the, that medium developed and also kind of how it kind of dwindled down as well. I mean, that book they kind of portrayed. But, um, but yeah, that's, it's a great book. Adventures of Clay and Cavalier. Yeah. You have to know, though, that the comic books started way earlier than that. Uh, In Belgium. We had the Yellow Boy, right? Since the beginning of last century. Right. Uh, Yellow Boy, is that true? Belgian guy? Who? Yellow Boy, I think he was called. I think in a Belgian newspaper. Oh, Yellow Boy? Uh, it's possible. I'm, I'm, I'm not a, I've been to the comic book museum, but I'm not a, uh, not an expert. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I used to read a lot of them when I was a kid. Yeah. I used to go to the library every three weeks and take five books. And mm-hmm. one of them was always a comic book. Um, so I read a lot of them and we had a lot of them at home also we had like most of Suskin and Whiskey but that's probably something you don't know outside of Belgium Um, which one what's it called Suskin and Whiskey okay nope yeah it's a boy and a girl Um, and I learned reading with um, I don't know how you say it uh, Tintin maybe for you yeah of course Tintin Tintin's huge yeah it's it's, uh, from Hergé it's uh, yeah yeah a Brussels comic book. Brussels, right. And, he, and then Spielberg made the movie like five years ago, which was amazing. Yeah. No, I, I grew up on those. I had them in both in uh, Dutch and in French. Yeah. What was the name of his dog? Do you remember? Uh, uh, in Dutch, it's Bobby. And in French, it's Milou. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea in English. Yeah. Um. Next question. Is there um, anything you wish you would have known when you started out with Clixies? Uh, so I think, I think we could have scaled much, much faster. Now we're scaling pretty fast, but I think we could have scaled faster if, um, if we knew exactly who our target market was from the get-go. Uh, in the beginning, we didn't know exactly, you know, who's the right type of customer for us? Is it agencies? Is it locksmiths? Is it big brands? Is it, um, you know, what type of advertisers are these? And now we know exactly what type of advertiser needs mm-hmm. uh, or is most uh, receptive of our services. Um, and uh, and because, and you know, in the beginning, we were trying to, like, reach, you know, Coca-Cola, you know, Procter & Gamble, you know, big companies that, you know, they don't know how to deal. Or we also didn't know how to deal with enterprise clients. Like, no way. Way too early. Um, today we do, but in the beginning we, we thought that it makes sense to talk to Nike in Portland. You know, it doesn't. Um, and there's so many people that need your help that are running... You know, small campaigns, budgets of, you know, like $5,000 a month, $1,000 a month that, that, that it made sense for them to work with us, that we didn't have to go and, you know, for, for the big, big, big guys initially. Mm-hmm. And that's actually how our company looks today. We've got like thousands of small, medium businesses and SMBs are our, our, our lifeblood. Uh, whereas we've got maybe like a 2% of our customers are what we mm-hmm. consider it. You know, spending more than you know, like hundred thousand dollars on AdWords a month. Um, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah that's definitely good advice. Yeah, and if it's about small companies versus big companies, um, when we started off, people would tell us like, um, selling to a big company is as much work as selling selling to a small company, but you earn much more. Uh, that's what some people said to us. Uh, <laughs> I remember that, and then and then also. Um, they would say that small companies are ex- extremely hard. There's so many of them. You need to build up branding, all these kind of things. Um, so people really, um, and there's even these SaaS gurus uh, out there that uh, always tell you, go up market as fast as possible and these kind of things. Yeah, uh, so you really push to, towards selling to enterprises. Um, and also finding your target market is 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 something we also took a bit of time with we kind of so knew who is, who is salesflare's target market it for us it's agencies and startups right now um and that's that's not a coincidence i would say i i used to work in an agency and we were in between startups so it's it's the companies that we understand the best uh, mm-hmm. we impersonate them we built this for them um it it totally makes sense. And, and in the beginning, we were also trying all kinds of other groups, um, also because you, you don't see it working yet. Um, but but figuring out who to target is is huge. I, I totally agree. Because yeah. it's such a waste of time if you start talking to Coca-Cola for months and in the end, yep. it's, well, I don't know. Yep, it's expensive as well. It's time and money going down the drain for sure. Mm. And also less stable. I mean, at the end of the day, I rather have I really rather have thousands of small customers than you know twenty big ones. Yeah, sure. yeah. I'm always afraid when like when our, our big customers, if 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 one leaves in a month, that kind of uh, kills a part of our growth. Like we don't grow at the same percentages anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. While with small customers, it's way more predictable. Yeah. Um, Final question. Um, what's the best piece of advice you ever got? I, I don't know. I, I don't remember who gave it or where I got it or how I formed it, but it came from different areas, I guess. And that is um, related to, you know, you know we, we all grew up with, like, you know, in 2006, was it? With, with, when the iPhone came out, you mm-hmm. know, I think like that. Um, this whole concept of a real quality product that creates, you know, a tribe around it. Um, and it's, I don't know if it's so much like um, advice that someone gave me, but kind of like a belief system or, or something, you know, that, and then if you create something worthwhile uh, for a group of people that, that, that care about it, that, I mean, that's 99% of the, of the trick. Uh, and there are enough ideas out there or, or people that or products that haven't been created yet for groups of people that will want it that, that exist. You, you know, you can just connect those two. Another thing is that when, when you have created something of, of, of quality, um, the people that, that connect to it, that, that tribe of people, they'll, they do promote it. Just like we see it with Clixies. We see kind of like this virality of people that are seeing value in the money that they're saving on Google Ads. And 
people from different industries or their friends or whoever it may be, we, we get so much referral traffic that that wouldn't happen if the product wasn't quality, which means you know, quality is in the customer service, quality is in the actual value of the service that we do. It's in the way that the, you know, the UI, the UX of, of how things are done when they have signed up, anything related to payments, anything related to price, anything related to you know, just general value. Um, so, so quality is, is, is what kind of leads you know, that kind of... And again, it's not exactly someone didn't tell me this, just it's kind of things that I've, I've figured out, I think, on the way. And maybe, maybe you know, maybe, maybe uh, quality products that I've interacted with along the way or any of us have kind of, have kind of proven that to us. Um, but uh, yeah. Uh, Definitely, yeah. You know what? You know what? And, and, and you can scrap all of this. There is one something that I learned from one of my professors. I studied uh, in, in, in Chicago. Um, I studied um, um, marketing communications at Northwestern and there was this uh, professor, um, his name is John Greening, and he kind of opened up uh, my eyes and he asked the class, like first day of school, he says, who knows what a brand is? And everybody starts giving, you know, their, their answer. If I ask you, what's a brand, but what would you tell me? I would say a brand is a sort of... Um connection um with some kind of uh imagined entity that uh sells you sells you some value i don't know yeah that's <laughs> that's good that's not bad that's actually very good that's probably like the dictionary uh, <laughs> uh answer so he said this is the thing is it a brand is a promise kept ah and it took me that makes sense yeah, and, and it took me, you know, a lot of time to, to process that and, and kind of like see it over and over again wherever I go. It doesn't matter if you're looking at small SaaS brands or famous, you know, long-lasting, you know, uh, whether if it's in like product extensions or within the product itself or the, you know, um, using the product over and over again, that promise kept is is kind of like, you know, that, that, that value that I was talking about before and... Um, that is probably the best piece of uh, advice that I've gotten. Cool. Thank you again, Ilan, for being on Founder Coffee. It's uh, Thank great you for having. making me think, man. That's it for this episode of Founder Coffee. We hope you liked it. Let the world know if you did. Thanks for listening, guys.